0: Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coach Cast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. My guest today is Peter Stetna, who has bike racing in his blood, as his father is Dale Stetna, a USA Cycling Hall of Fame inductee. Peter has spent 10 years racing in the World Tour on teams such as Garmin, BMC, and Trek. He has raced in 10 Grand Tours, including two Tours de France. In 2020, he made a big switch from being a European-based world tour rider to become a self-managed privateer on the ever-evolving gravel race scene. His decision seems to have been a good choice as he has won plenty of races, including this year's Crusher and the Tusher. He also defended his 2020 victory at the Belgian Waffle Ride San Diego, and he won the inaugural Leadboat, which is the combination of the Leadville 100 mountain bike race and then 140 mile steamboat gravel race on back-to-back days. I hope you enjoy this episode and get fired up for the 2022 gravel race scene. Pete Stetna, thank you so much for joining me today on the CoachCast.
1: Are you going to teach me how to be to coach myself are you gonna teach me how to i yeah. need coaching well <laughs> a lot of we are here <laughs> we, we're here to learn some secrets from
0: you that's uh, the whole point of the show the inside the behind the scenes you know you got a lot of different angles on the sport that you've been able to draw from so um this yeah, is the right.
1: time to kind of like unleash all that on our listeners <laughs> uh, we'll try it's usually just wing it but um yeah, there's, well, there's a few I'm tips sure and tricks.
0: Some, <laughs> there's some good lessons learned, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, first of all, I have to get this out. Your father, Dale, was a hero of mine. I am obviously hmm. older than you. Um, and I got to see him race before you were even born. And uh, he was definitely a big reason why I started racing. I grew up in Colorado. He won the Coors Classic once, the Red Zinger
1: once, I believe. Isn't that that true? Um, yeah I think he did he, it two or three times. Yeah, he has like the tied with maybe Finney for the most wins in overall or something. Yeah. Um, well, another cool thing I always thought was amazing
0: with him was that he he actually won the Coors Classic one year without winning a single
1: stage. Yeah, he was just cagey well, and knew how to work it. You know, in the exact opposite of that, I once won every stage of a stage race, but lost the overall. What? So, <laughs> no, I've never heard of such I a know. thing. It was this little podunk, uh, ACA. Cause, okay. So growing up in Colorado, I got to say too, it's so great how this is cyclical. Like you looked up to my dad and then <laughs> I was a right. junior cutting it and you were like hitting it in the, the Boulder group rides and stuff. And you've always kind of been there <laughs> doing the training. So it's thanks for having me on and all that. Well, but, thanks. Sure. Um, yeah, one of the little Colorado races uh, ACA back in the day, American Cycling Association up in yeah. uh, Wyoming. It was uh, up oh. in, in Laramie.
0: Lar- Laramie, um, like the dead dog. Dead dog, Yes, maybe? I think it was. And I was doing the yeah. Cat 3 yeah. race,
1: the men, the pro okay. men, as a, like a yeah. 16-year-old. It was a road race, a TT, and a crit. And the TT, I won by like two seconds. The road race, it was a sprint finish, like same time, but I won. Uh, and the crit, I won, but... Um, again, like a pack time. And there was never a any time bonuses for the win. But randomly in the crit, they're like, there's a five, three, one time bonus, like preem sprint. And the guy who was like second to me won that one damn sprint. And so he won the overall and I was so confused by the math and pissed off. (laughs) I still remember it. But I think that's like my one like uber claim to fame that nobody else has ever done. (laughs) No, it's hard
0: enough to explain stage racing to a newbie. Right, or to the general public. Then you explain to them I won every stage and didn't win the overall. Exactly. So I've never heard that. That's that's pretty awesome. Local local bike racing at its best. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and your father's in the in the hall of fame and just uh yeah, he was awesome. He and also he was a coach of the seven eleven junior team, which was you know, Bobby Julik and Clark Sheehan and Robbie Ventura and all these guys, you know, and that was kind of my era. And so we all kind of looked up to, uh, to Dale as the coach of the team. And uh, it was a great, great program. So good, good memories of the mm. uh, eight of the eighties. Um, and you know, uh, it, it's funny. I looked up, uh, when you started using training peaks, do you know the year that you actually started? Oh using training man. Peaks?
1: I mean, I know it's always been kind of like my platform. Um, you know, i we've had other sponsored platforms where like team coaches have to log in, but you know, that's, uh, I've definitely been doing it since I was a junior. What am I, am I one of I, your OGs now? Can I, am I considered <laughs> OG status? Well,
0: you're two, 10 years too late from our actual, okay. um, launch date, but you're 2010.
1: Okay. Oh, that Is was a, the le- year I went to the pro tour then. That was my first pro tour year. Garmin Slipstream, maybe something. Whatever like that. its I'm iteration not sure. was, Garmin Solo, yeah. Slipstream right. Chipotle. Um, yeah, something. yeah, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Awesome, you know. And I almost beat you once this year. Do you know where I almost beat you in an event?
1: That would have been the Copper Triangle, uh, right? Yeah, you no, know, but now, I thought I that's that, that's not competitive. I know.
0: <laughs> well, that's the closest thing I'll get, right? But I was being competitive. I was I was trying to stay in the group. So uh, that was a fun day. We did the Copper Triangle together. I think that was a was that a week or two out from Steamboat and Lead Boat and all that. It
1: was a week before, yeah. And I had come to Colorado to get my my final altitude prep before the Lead Boat Challenge. Um, and Copper Triangle just kind of fit nicely. It was a good excuse to do a a hard mountain pass day with uh, a thousand like-minded like-minded bike riders and uh absolutely you're on
0: the sorry go ahead you're on the fat tire with uh maybe 25 pounds of pressure or something and we were all (laughs) 80 80 psi with our little narrow tires so it gave you a little um i don't know extra workout but you know you if this season there is no series point series mm-hmm. in gravel, right? Right. Thank God, <laughs> but, but, yeah. but, but you probably would have won. I mean, when you look at the biggest races on the calendar, you know, and all the victories and, um, you, you, definitely
1: can't complain too much. You hadn't had a I, really good year. I had, uh, probably the best year of my career, uh, results and fun wise. It was just, it was great. Um, I, uh, very tired at the end of it It was a very busy year, but in all accounts, so much fun, both from a professional and a personal standpoint. Um, you know, if there were, I, I won a lot of races and I won a lot of big races, um, that said, um, I prioritize these gravel events and what kind of tickles my fancy and what seems like an awesome adventure or something cool. Um, and I. Think that's a good reason to not have any sort of a, a points classification because i didn't get into gravel to chase a a, a ranking or a, a calendar uh specifically i got into gravel to you know go to these rather events just like the copper triangle or, or lead boat that um that are just a great day on the bike and then you know kind of push that on the side and you know tuck it away in the portfolio and the memory bank and then focus on the next one i mean each event is so unique in their, they're their own thing, so
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Every single event, and that can be foreboding and... as much as any listener wants to take it. But that's my stance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. It's kind of the essence of gravel, right? Yeah, it's just this. Uh, you know, go to the coolest events um, and 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 just make the most of it. I I, I kind of want to go down through some of these events, and and have you give a little p- bit of color, maybe behind. Um, how the day went for you or the prep for that or whatever it might be, the equipment choices or whatever comes to your head. Now, something that isn't per se an event, but yet you, I think, hold the record, the Pelli mm. fastest known um, time on the Cocopelli. I don't know if you still hold that, but I you do. set that. Was that, in, was that 2021 or 2020? That
1: was this year. That was this spring. So um, 2020 was my white rim attempt, which I had, but okay. Keegan Swanson has since taken it back by a... a meager six seconds, that jerk. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. Five the, and a half uh, hours comes down to six seconds. I can't believe it. Wow. But uh, wow. I currently still hold the Coca-Pelli. uh Cocapelli is a seasonal thing. I bet there'll be a flurry of activity next spring. You know, you kind of got to wait for the snow and the San Juans to melt. And
0: Yeah. And explain f- that course. What is it point to point? What is it?
1: Yeah. So for those who don't know, the Cocapelli Trail, um, and if I may back up to just FKTs and yeah. course records. Um, right. yeah. that was my big COVID pivot project, you know, with it, without a traditional racing. Um, I kind of was like, you know, these, this course record or this FKT is kind of how we can challenge each other and kind of race separately, but against each other, you know? So FKT fastest known time going out on some legendary courses, um, and trying to break the all time record and, you know, you can play with the day and the start time and, and all that. So there's a lot more than just a traditional race. Um, and so I kind of pick and chose a few every year. It's super fun. It's a different way of competing. And it's also kind of like a, a more personal journey. Um, right. So the cocapelli is one of those famous routes. Um, you know, people normally do three to four days of bike packing. Um, it is very chunky mountain bikey, kind of everything that, you know, Southern or, uh, I guess Eastern Utah Moab land has to offer. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, 140 miles. And I want to say 17,000 feet of vert between Moab, Utah and Fruta, Colorado. Um, the last quarter is over the Colorado border. Um, and you have some pavement climb sections, some flat pedally stuff, some hard packed dirt, some stand stones, some chunky rock gardens, some hike-a-bikes, some classic Moab-like ledge drops. Um, so it's everything. It's kind of like the all-encompassing ride. And it's a it's quite a journey in a very uh, expansive landscape. You know, it definitely is a very cool bucket list ride.
0: Yeah, cool. And so any thoughts around more
1: FKTs? Was that just a COVID coming out party? No. Any thoughts around that? That was it started as a COVID project until racing came back however it's so much fun and i think uh, a lot of people can relate and enjoy a big day out on the bike whether that's you know the going for the fastest known time or their fastest known time i mean i know people who try to better their white rim trail time all the time um but uh yeah so i think i think it's relatable and i think that's a kind of a personal journey i know Colorado Trail is one of those, not that I'm going to go for that. Um, (laughs) but there are a few and I kind of want to like focus on one every year. Um, Mm. you know, I think there's a lot more cool trails, um, and cool locations to, uh, highlight and try to look into and create inspiration out of. Um, I definitely want to try to start getting away from the Moab Red Rock area. you know, maybe something more Pacific Northwest, something kind of Southeast. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, there's a lot of potential out there. Um, and it's kind of, it might even be more about establishing a route, you know, and throwing down the, the first known time or the only known time, you know, and that <laughs> yes, would be, yeah. um, you know, you could create a route that is cocapelli worthy, you know, like it has all these aspects that make it a truly unforgettable i think to be fkt worthy a ride a route needs to be kind of a bucket list ride in the first place hence your white rims your colorado trails um oregon timber trail is one that kind of fancies my eye um Mm. i personally i'm not ready for the colorado trail i'm an amateur bike packer and i still like the idea of one big day, you know, I could even wrap my head around 24 hours of straight pedaling, but once it starts becoming the multi-day thing with the bivy, I feel like it's kind of a, in terms of competition, I kind of feel like it's a sleep deprivation contest. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't ha- fancy napping for two hours on a trail side and then waking up and riding in the dark yet. Um, yep. That's, I hear ya. that's something I, I like going really fast, but you know, I want to eventually get home and have a beer and stuff too. So that's that's kind of where we'll get,
0: I'm at. We'll get to that topic later on. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, next race, uh, Unbound, mm. you were third. I watched that live, like a lot of that, if you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sitting here in Boulder watching good and bad video coverage, but I saw you attack, I think, over a dam around a lake. Right. Is that correct? Um, Somewhere in there, yeah. And then take us from that moment into the finish, um, and thoughts around how that, how that played out.
1: Um, I was so motivated for that race and things were going right all day. And we had that, that final selection of five of us quote unquote gravel specialists, you know? So it was so cool knowing Mm -hmm. that like the top five was going to be between, you know, a bunch of us with, who are friends who text each other on the regular and, uh, a friend battling it out, you know? Um, and. I, I was climbing the best out of the group. You know, I was kind of one trying to force some selections. Um, I also don't fancy myself in a sprint and unfortunately the day kind of became nullified by headwinds in the last, uh, four hours of the race, you know, it was going to be really hard Mm -hmm. on a flat flatter course to break away. Um, so there was kind of some, some lighter Hills in the end into like some really, uh, chunky dicey, uh, like four wheel roads, like some, some, one of the worst parts of the course, I would say, um, and I hit it really hard through there, um, and tried to snap the race. And, uh, you know, the, the race was going down at that point. Um, I didn't drop them, but kind of, we were all like on the limit and guys were kind of starting to implode, um, myself included and right as, uh, Lawrence 10 dam came around me, uh, through this hill. I got the worst chain suck to the point where it wrapped up and around my bottom bracket and I had to, it wasn't like you could backpedal. It was stop and, you know, try to rip the chain out without breaking it. Um, And, you know, it's kind of that that unspoken rules of gravel that everyone talks about is, you know, like if that happened in the middle of the race, everyone would have kind of like soft pedaled for 30 seconds and let me rip it out. But, I mean, I had opened up the volley of attacks and, you know, it was my <laughs> fault. And, um, and the race was on at that point. Like, I mean, not having mechanical is also part of the game in in gravel racing. So, yep. you know, they didn't stop. The race was on and I don't fault them for it one minute. Like it was all fair. Um, but, uh, you know, I lost that 30 seconds into a headwind and I just proceeded to chase and keep them at 30 seconds, like the entire last like Whoa. hour and a half of the race. Um, so that was frustrating, and we had actually found out that what had happened is I had become victim to one of those little sharp flint stones out there um and I had sliced my tire, but my sealant had done its job in sealing the okay. tire. however, yeah. it had you know sprayed sealant all across you know my down tube or my seat tube and all like through my my uh, crank set, right like just right. as it was sealing so the chain had become more sticky because of that. Hence that's what caused the chain suck. Um, yeah, which is just another unfortunate, uh, circumstance, but you know, I, I got to finished third and salvage a podium spot, which I was super proud of. And Ian rekindled his, his racing career with that really, which yeah. was amazing yeah. to, to witness. Um, so that was it was a very successful race uh personally and for the discipline
0: yeah definitely third I mean still made the podium it's part of the game as you said I actually did a uh an event this year the the rad dirt down mm-hmm. in Trinidad Colorado um yeah I heard about that that's a uh, how was that it was awesome um it's a lifetime event yeah. um so it's really well run um I did the hundred and not the 160. I'm just That's my sweet spot. Like the hundred, I can definitely see myself preparing Mm for. Um, But I, crazy rain overnight, lots of like peanut butter mud, you know, the first 10, 15 miles and bam, chains suck. And Mm. my chain was wrapped around the bottom bracket. I couldn't even like pull it out. Luckily, like I didn't have the right chain breaker tool with me. And someone did, you know, stop and help me out. And I learned how to like break a chain and like get it all off wrapped around my bottom bracket so definitely like you said part of the game uh, you got to learn some mechanical skills <laughs> if you get into gravel racing as well um now we're on to crusher and the tusher first place mm. um heat altitude climbing i take it
1: uh yeah that's uh know yeah, that's in my wheelhouse that's uh the only mountaintop finish gravel race um and actually, we'd done Oregon Trail before that. So Oregon Trail was kind okay. of my first redemption. And that's the gravel stage race, right? Like yeah. five days, four nights, camp party every night. And I uh I was really coming into some real good form. Um, you know, if we're talking coaching wise or uh, training wise, yeah. um, you know, that right. Coca Pelle had kind of served as the uh the prep for unbound, being a very similar you know, and that's all kind True. of like lining it yep. up, right? Like I was like, oh, Coco yep. Pelle is going to be a 10 and a half hour effort before the 10 hour effort at Unbound, you know? So yeah, yeah. there's another reason by doing that, that FKT in the spring beyond. And the mental, mentally, it'll yeah. get you there as well. Just pushing that long, you know? Um Right. So Unbound had really some nice form coming into the Oregon Trail, which is hard mountain climby style, gravel racing, experiential courses. And that's just like free fitness to finish the thing. Um, definite. I was able to stage race. Yeah. That's kind of what I did my whole road career. So it's just, I love it. You know, more, more bang for your buck in the stage races. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, capped off three stages in the overall title there. Um, and then crusher and the tusher was next, which is altitude, climby, hot, um, Mountaintop finish, um, so that was that was a really nice one, and that's one of the early gravel races. I mean, Crusher's been around for a decade. Yeah, definite. So, yeah, super. And then, uh, did you defend at Belgian Waffle? Was I did. That... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of my big, my big one of the year. You know, I think in terms of gravel pro gravel racing and trying to to you know uh, win or podium at places you know, if you can get unbound or the BWR San Diego, like that kind of makes your season, you know, everything else is like yeah. it's icing on the cake. Cause those are so big, uh, and so yeah. different, both of them. Um, so yeah, I was, the BWR San Diego was, uh, it was emotional for me because, um, I had put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and, pretty much all my sponsors had some real, uh, investment in that race as well. You know, canyons backyard. They're the, one of the title sponsors, uh, IRC tires. That's their big activation for the year, uh, a lot. Um, and that's kind of what had helped solidify my move to gravel in the first place in 2019. So I put a lot of pressure on myself to actually show that this made sense, whether or not that actually existed in the real world. I don't know um but to actually kind of come through that and the way the race played out with you know bad luck after bad luck it was not a clean run by any means but um that i i usually kind of treat the actual racing the racing is fun for me but i kind of treat it like a test and I, I think the best way to measure, you know, if you're really in contention is by winning, you ace the test, right? Like
0: you right. did
1: everything just right. And if you know, the capacity is in you to win and then you win boom, a plus, right. Yeah. Um, right. And I'm kind of methodical about it. And then I really enjoy everything around it. Like I enjoy the actual, during the race, the action and stuff in the post-race party, but I don't really care that much about like the hands in the air thing. Um, yeah, but, uh, Belgian waffle ride was different. It was just like this massive wave of emotion. Um, and I mean, I was like punching the air for a hundred meters coming into the line and stuff. (laughs) And it was just, it was a very different feeling. And it was almost, I think that feeling was kind of like a, a weight had been lifted though, like a monkey off the back type of thing. Um, in its purest form, um, like relief to the point of euphoria. That I, I'm like I did it all right, like, um, so that that was really cool. Um, BWR was my my highlight of the year, race wise. Awesome. Well, then you go and
0: I don't even know this event, but tell us more about Iceland, <laughs> the Rift. I mean, is this your first year event? Like, how long has this been going on? What is um,
1: it? Second year event. It happened in nineteen, got canceled in twenty. Like everything. Um, yeah. Just. You know the 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 cool thing about these gravel races are in visiting other communities and other landscapes and iceland is like an alien planet on earth it's it's so nuts um and the travel's not that difficult it's a shorter flight than to europe so um you know i'd seen kind of the photography and and uh europe is very gravel curious and it's really starting to hit there but that's kind of like a closer one for them so a lot of Europeans put hype on it um but it was just like you see the photos like everybody and you're like I need to do this once um and so Big Tall Wayne and I went there um we were planning on having our our significant others my wife and his fiance come with us but uh, uh Sorry Wayne is that mechanic? Yes, sorry. Wayne yes. Wayne okay. my mechanic, yep. Big Tall Wayne. He's Nice. Now like the folk hero of gravel racing, I feel <laughs> like more, yeah, people want him to come to races. He, they want me to come to races. So I bring him, <laughs> um, everyone wants to hang with Wayne. Um, but, uh, you know, so our, our, our ladies couldn't make it. Um, so I had this like little, cause my wife and I were supposed to kind of make a vacation out of it. And the COVID things kind of got complicated and there was a lot in the air with the entry requirements. Yep. And she had to bail and with work stuff. Um, and so I went to Wayne, I said, Wayne, like I have like a single bedroom, like honeymoon cabin <laughs> in Iceland, <laughs> in the countryside. You want to come? <laughs> so a sure bet. Uh, apparently a few people online thought that was our actual honeymoon. So right. <laughs> I'm sorry for anyone <laughs> out there wondering, um, <laughs> but that's, that's not the case, but we, we just screwed around in Iceland and it's, the race is amazing. The course is amazing. I mean, they filmed Game of Thrones there, part of the you know for some scenes. Yeah. Like, it's unbelievable. It's a bucket list route to do once racing or riding. Um, the race is kind of an excuse to just go to Iceland. Like you go there and you do all the crazy touristy things, and you also do a bike race. So yeah, yeah. I went to Europe for once,
0: and we flew through Iceland, and on the way back, and I was with Jim Miller and mm-hmm. uh jim made the right choice he's like hey guys um i'm actually staying an extra day or two here fly fishing so i'll see you guys back in boulder you know yeah <laughs> so
1: on the way back he stayed an extra few days i'm like darn it i need to do that next time <laughs> yeah um <laughs> long long layover but racing wise too it's dang hard the uh the icelandic champ is normally doing the whole european pro circuit so he's a very very good rider and uh on his home turf. So he was pretty motivated. So that was, um, yeah, like writing to the point of like blacking out almost, um, uh,
0: blacking out, man, I would black out if I did this thing called lead boat, uh, <laughs> d- let, yeah. followed by, uh, you know, mountain bike race, uh, followed the next day by the 140 mile gravel race in steamboat. I did the 100 mile steamboat mm-hmm. gravel only. Um, but, Wow. What, what a cool event. You, uh, won the overall combined is, you know, the combined between the two, um, what fifth in Leadville third in steamboat. Tell us your thoughts about
1: that. Would you do that? Uh, would you do that again? Um, yeah, no, lead, lead boat was an interesting concept and it kind of started as maybe almost like a PR stunt. Um, but it was just cool how, The organizers instead of infighting for registrations they work together they're two completely different business entities and by all means like they're competitors for you know a colorado mountain town in august like they're fighting for the same participation and instead they work together which says Mm -hmm. something about this this discipline right now um so yeah leadville 100 the first day i'd done that in the past i remember how shelled i was uh steamboat the day Mm -hmm. after Immediately when they announced it I knew I wanted to do it. Again, coming from stage racing, uh maybe being able to help some of their participants in emails before with tips and tricks I had learned from my stage racing career, you know, just the basics on, you know, flushing your legs, the the timing of recovery meals and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um Leadville was fine. Um I had higher hopes. I uh I still, even even seasoned riders make uh, amateur mistakes, and I tried a new fueling strategy. Even though I told people, don't try the first, you know, something new on race day, I, I totally did that. <laughs> like, I mean, you, you idiot, Peter! You idiot! Like, so I was already sorry. So you have stomach problems from that? Yeah, what? I was cramping, and um, I was cramping already on Columbine, which is like I don't, I'm not a big cramper. Like, uh, yeah, Columbine was like, you know, you're almost halfway in, like. Uh, I mitigated, I kind of went back to what I knew in the second half of the race and was able to like kind of hold, but, um, Keegan and Lockie and Howard were already, uh, out of, out of there. Um, but, uh, it was a great race and, and super fun and, and Payson and I sprinted it out, um, the two mustaches and the Peloton, um, (laughs) and we were both the, the front three were actually not doing steamboat. So even though we sprinted it out for fourth and fifth, um, we both realized that we were basically virtually leading the lead boat challenge, which, uh, I think people still don't know. It's not like there was like a prize purse for it. There was like kind there, there was a podium. Um, no one knows if actually winning Leadville or winning steamboat independently means more than winning the lead boat. Um, it's kind of just depends on who you ask. I think we can all just agree. It's like the tough ass or the dumb ass award. Um, (laughs) so anyway, we lined up for steamboat the next day and there was a lot of fresh legs, uh, yours included out there, like all (laughs) hammering away. And, um, you know, you had Ted King and Colin Strickland knowing that we were tired. Um, so they were making moves early. Um, but, uh, you know, we were able to kind of both mitigate that and eventually Payson had some, um, wheel tire issues as you do in bike races, especially off road. And, um, yeah. so our, our be, being on the same time is like whoever won steamboat took it all. Right. And then Finsty yeah. was just a few minutes down. So, uh, with Payson dropping out of contention, um, that battle left to wait for, for another year. But, uh, Finstie kind of threw everything at me, uh, throughout the day, just even on like random corners that would not make sense to attack just to Jab the knife in so it was it was a hard fought battle, but um, I attacked on the final downhill the the really chunky one I think they call it cow hollow. Oh, yeah, right um, right, right. Yeah. The last dirt section I attacked there yeah. and exited with a gap and I looked behind and it was Alex Howes and Ian Boswell who are both two yeah. very very close friends. Um, I Know I can't sprint against housey. We grew up together. I mean Alex was groomsman in my wedding. We go way back um, but I mean if there were any two guys again like unbound to share the podium with it's like <laughs> these two guys you know so knowing like we just without even talking collaborated and knowing the podium would whatever the order was it was going to be a sweet podium um mm-hmm. and you know we sprinted it out and obviously alex waxed it um you know i i probably was overeager to make sure that that was the podium um because I knew I was also racing for the lead boat, you know, that's still kind of in the back of my mind. Whereas, yeah. uh, Alex had a really bad Leadville. He did the lead, boat. he had a really bad Leadville. He was not in contention for that. And, um, mm. Boz was, was fresh for steamboat. So, um, I kind of had a double priority to make sure that podium was the final podium with Finsty lurking just behind us. Um, yeah, but yeah, that was great. I was, um, I was pretty surprised how many people cared about the lead boat.
0: Yeah. It was definitely a great story. A lot of people imagine themselves doing it, but no way in hell would they, would they? Mm -hmm. So they, they love, you know, I mean, me included just kind of seeing how it plays out. Like how does, wow, holy, you were third in
1: Steamboat and you did Leadville the day before. That was just, I mean, that Mm -hmm. alone is just such a cool thing, you know? So I think it's just that robustness. I mean, it's, you know, when you do a decade in the world tour and grand tours, you know, you, you just have a, a level of resilience that you, yeah a lot of folks can't get unless they do that. So I definitely, um, parlayed that into, to my favor.
0: Yeah. That depth, you know, there you can dig in day after day and really kind of go negative, if you will, and and Mm -hmm. be able to withstand it. You know, speaking of that, how has the, the, the training changed, you know, um, are you focused on a different aspect of your fitness or, you know, within training versus the the world tour days. Um, you know, what are kind of a couple different changes, um, within your training program?
1: You know, I think overall it's the lifestyle change that mm. evolves into training. It's gravel is highlighted by, uh, instead of robotic bike racers, uh, that follow a very, very strict training plan. It's it's people who ride bikes that happen to be fast or be competitive or go out for these epic adventures. And, you know, I really, um, practice what I preach. So I, I care about these races. I am a competitor, but, um, you know, this is only half half the project in this whole privateering gravel game, right? Like, I mean, it's, the training plan is not the end all and be all it's, um, it's I fit my training plans around, you know, podcasts such as this and sponsor contract renegotiations and, uh, interviews and photo shoots for new products or whatever it is. Um, it's, a, uh, it's kind of fitting it in, uh, and, and making sure I, I touch all the right angles. Um, and it's about having fun. It's, it's, in, I, I know how to get myself fit. I've done it for, mm-hmm. for a decade. Um, I have a little Excel sheet of all the saved workouts from coaches of years past, you know, the Bobby Julik, Max Testa, Scott Knightham, um, and Alan Lim. You know, it's I had some great coaches in my career and I remember workouts that were staples that I really responded well to. So mm-hmm. I've done it long enough. I kind of know how to build, you know, your basic period periodization, your blocks. I know how my body responds when I need to rest. Um, and you know, Hey, you know, it's, it's almost race time. Like I need to start sprinkling that intensity. So, you know, taking off the endurance, it's time for VO two sessions, two weeks out, all that kind of thing. And then I have a VO two workout. I always can plug and play. Um, that's, that's kind of how I do it. And I'm, I'm self coached now. Um, just because like I was saying with the lifestyle, it's so busy. I, I couldn't justify continuing to pay and work with my coach just because, for both of us, it was, you know, too hard to adhere to a thing and kind of almost disrespectful because there's that, that training plan, right. And the the perfect world. And I mean, if I had a coach right now, it would be, man, I had to change it. This, I had to shorten it an hour and I'm going to make it up with an hour on the other side. I'm taking this day off for this travel to this photo shoot. So it would never be hitting the right things. I really have to build my training plan around my lifestyle, which is constantly evolving. So, um, the training is only half of it. That said, I probably do focus on training more than even my my other gravel contemporaries. Um,
0: <laughs> well, I think yeah. you've had great, as you said, mentors in the past, and you've learned a great deal with the whole bunch of yes. you know, world class coaches. And that kind of is endearing. And you've learned how you react and kind of plug and play, as you say. So that's a special gift you've been you've been given and can pull out. And then. And kind of make it work for your for your life. Uh, you know, another part of logistics and life. I just want to put out there is hashtag van life, right? <laughs> <laughs> and all the good and bad I think of van life. So tell us about um, the life in the van that this year.
1: It's uh, yeah, it's the uh, the the alternative team bus, right? I <laughs> <laughs> love um, it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it just. I'm traveling to all these races and there's so much equipment. Um, and, and especially during COVID when flying was weird. Um, it just, I, I kind of invested in this, this big dumb van to go places. And then nice. all of a sudden it yeah. just became this freedom. Like it's, you know, mm. you're not adhering to the itinerary of airline schedules and the stress around it. Um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, if I have an eight hour drive, it's, I drive four hours the night before after a great training ride. And then I, you know, can sleep on the side of the road somewhere where, wherever I find land and then, um, you know, pick it up and finish the drive with my morning coffee and have a full day at the, the next location. So <laughs> I've really been able to probably help my training, like leading into events by not having to adhere to like losing an, an entire day with like an airport and a layover and checking, you yeah. know, um, yeah. So I love that. Um it's it's yeah. great and it's just it's your little moving apartment with all your comforts and then you know unbound mm-hmm. when you need five spare tires and all this other stuff, right? Like Yeah. traveling with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, I I actually camped in a van at Steamboat. Hmm. I was at the high school and it was so cool that the organizer had these places where vans could park and camp, you know, for the, for the race and the high school is one of them. So I stayed with a buddy there in van life. Um, it was kind of like Woodstock, you know, all of <laughs> us weird gravel people traveling one race to the next. Yep. And it really actually brought me back to my junior days. I mean, juniors, you know, we had, I mean, back when I was a junior, no money, I had to get to Quebec Canada for tour de Bose, mm-hmm. you know, and we traveled in the car and, You know, I traveled with Bobby Julik and his dad had a had an RV and we just slept in the RV to go to nationals in New York. Um, so I definitely understand that kind of freedom of the road. And and you get to see amazing places. You get to ride in new places like every day. Yeah. You know.
1: Oh, amazing. It's it's a great way to see see the US and and driving is it's it's Americana, right? The road trip is essential part of our culture and it's so there's so many cool places to stop and ride like you said on the yeah. way. Um yep you know and I do want to go like real back one quick I by no means mm-hmm. am saying anyone should like coach themselves for gravel considering you're a training platform but the training peaks uh algorithm is something that I use being a you know a dingus mentality you know bike rider like i i know i i watch the the ctl and the tss lines and all that and that's a way that i can i that is a tool that i use religiously to get you know be able to to do my my gravel training while balancing that yeah very cool
0: and it's not you know and others taught you that you know along the way you know the you know it's not it's not the holy grail but you know it can definitely help out so it's cool that others have kind of taught you some of those lessons along the way. So I really appreciate that. Um, let's see a, a couple more things before we wrap up, mm. um, off season plans. <laughs> I hear
1: beer was in your life. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, beers in my life all the time now because gravels that's, that's <laughs> part of gravel. Um, but more of it. Yeah. Um, just, uh, just doing all the house projects, you know, I'm still, uh, kind of a creature of habit when it comes to you know, how I run my, my calendar year and, you know, I'm training, I definitely put off some projects, you know, Ian's out there, like, Building houses <laughs> mid season. Yeah, he's a he's a unit. Yep. Um, but I Vermont, right? I yeah. know, right? Because he has yeah. to, right? Like it's they're starting to get freezes, so he can't wait till now. I think that's my <laughs> excuse why he's such a cooler person than I. Well, am.
0: Tahoe just got a whole bunch of snow.
1: So, yep. So that's my plan. In a few weeks, I am headed up to split a whole bunch of wood and get my cord of wood ready for uh, all my my spires. Love it. Yes. Um, just redid a rock wall in our garden here in Santa Rosa. Um, Yesterday. So it is all the house projects. Um, and right now it's thick and heavy with all the the sponsor renewals because I'm my own agent and my own right. deal broker, along with yeah. everything else. So uh trying to figure out pieces of the puzzle and gravel's so hot. I mean, all these races are freaking opening their registrations this weekend. I know. Uh I know. so like I already need like a freaking calendar reminder of like, hey, gravel locos or mid-south, like this weekend, guys. So um yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I saw Steamboat announced, um, a general lottery for ma- majority of folks Yeah, like December 10th. I think it opens and then they'll have a lottery and they tell you December 15th. It's sold out in 10 minutes yeah. this
1: last year. I think um, the, the general, uh, lottery is a better way because yeah, you can't, but everyone can't set aside other plans and time zones to log in at midnight and and their web browser may crash or i I like the idea of like the the randomizers what mid-south calls it you know randy the robot the randomizer and you just pick the names pick the names um yeah you know so i I play the randomizer like like everybody um i'm i mean i realize pros aren't more special than than the masses especially in gravel that's that's important Um, but if you win i hope you get an invite. There's back. always cards to play, especially with sponsors. You know, <laughs> if you have a sponsor, so that's, that's my first thing is like, I play the randomizer game. Uh, that said, you know, um, if, if you miss out, uh, sponsors who are activating at expos, uh, usually get a few entries for their, their investment in the race. So that's kind of like always a, a nice backup plan. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, so there's definitely ways and, you know, you can always trade, you know, media and highlights and all that. Um, but, so it's always a business transaction, but it's, I am, I, like you, I have my freaking alarm clock set. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um I want to wrap
0: this up real quick. This is, I saw this on a, another podcast you did, what, Matt Stevens' podcast, yeah. I think, where you, <laughs> you kind of like took jabs at Boulder and it was like this quiz mm. about quirks or Boulder and that's where I'm located now. And it's where you were, Born and, born and went through ranked. high school Oh yeah. right yeah right in my hood actually <laughs> uh, my daughter went to boulder high as well i think uh david oh, go panthers uh, um yeah <laughs> the Finneys went there uh, a few other folks yeah all the um, Boulder
1: people you next time you see taylor boinking around boulder on his uh cruiser bike you ask him about the time on boulder high cross country where we threw him in boulder creek <laughs>
0: <Azed him. laughs> i will do that <laughs> all right for sure all right, you probably know this, but other listeners may not. But okay, the Tuesday Thursday group rides mm-hmm. meet at the bus a church? Stop. All right, is that So that's not a church. Is that <laughs> a bi- is that a bike shop or a strip club? That's a strip club. I don't even know if it okay. still
1: exists. Is does it? Like Boulder's grown um, so much.
0: It does not. And mm-hmm. I actually never went. Um mm-hmm. but I never got to experience that. But yes, I did meet in the parking lot many times for the group ride yeah. and lastly
1: or, here we, we go what were you gonna say oh well the was it the sunday mornings there or saturday mornings they were there too so you would see the uh the riffraff from the night before <laughs> coming out
0: true <laughs> yep 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 uh, okay and lastly there's a there's a triathlon here called the boulder peak triathlon mm-hmm. it go, goes over old stage which is a climb yes and there's a steep descent on the backside. And I don't know, you probably don't know this, but there there was actually they made a speed limit within the within the triathlon. Whoa. They had a speed limit for the downhill. Do you know why they made the speed
1: limit? Because triathletes can't handle their bikes. Mm, maybe <laughs> someone right, am I either. typing here. <laughs> no. Somebody
0: somebody hit either a deer, an elk, Or a a bear during the race? Which one of those did they hit during the race? Which enacted a speed limit for the following years?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, all those are very real possibilities in Boulder. Um, (laughs) And you're not a triathlete, so you don't know the answer to this. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. A bear, that would just send you. I want to say a deer just because that's the most prolific. I mean, the deers are idiots up there. They just walk everywhere.
0: I know that you always got to be careful. So there's a definitely a warning for everybody on any descent. I mean, especially around here, wildlife jump out of the woods. Mm -hmm. Um, But somebody actually hit a bear.
1: Oh, my God.
0: During the race. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So with that great note. (laughs) um, Hey, I want to thank you for your time. Been awesome. Uh, Hopefully see on the start line next year some of these events i'm stoked to Mm -hmm. uh for it all to happen again next year and congrats on a great great season thanks for using training peaks and uh yeah we will we'll see you out there thank you so much peter
1: i have one final tip as i sign off considering of hitting animals um for those of you in boulder who like to ride uh marshall mesa on the south end of town uh if you go for a night ride out there It's kind of like a sulfur bed, like it actually kind of smells like sulfur and it can get really like Mm. foggy and kind of steamy. So Mm. that's a cattle range in the middle of the night and you can't see them in the middle of the trail (laughs) if you go for a night ride. That's that's a personal story, but um, just watch
0: out. Okay. Oh yeah, look look out in the shadows. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Watch out for the shadows, absolutely. Cool, hey, have a great off season and uh, we'll see you on the start
1: line next year. Thanks for the chat, Dirk.
0: Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. For more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com/podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge.